Thank you, Thomas and worship team. And uh, let me mention before I get started here this morning, a couple things. I mentioned I'll be um, away this week for uh, meeting with the exam team for Presbytery. And in view of that, uh, Matt George, our youth director, will be preaching next Sunday. Yeah, so we're looking forward to that. And then I will be beginning um, a series through the book of Acts starting on January 14th. So that'll be um, about a church that goes beyond, beyond Sunday, beyond the walls and beyond the borders. So uh, we're looking forward to that. And uh, I'm looking forward to that. I don't know if you are, but, um, <laughs> but uh, so that's uh, coming up as well. And actually we'll have um, another special uh, speaker, preacher um, tied into that at the end of January. I'll tell you more about that later. But I'm going to do something a little bit different this morning than um, is my ordinary routine. Um, as we approach officer ordination and installation, I want to provide a, a sort of a teaching um, toward that topic, toward the, the, the subject of biblical church leadership as we understand it from a Presbyterian viewpoint. And so um, I'll explain that momentarily, but I, I'm going to read, in the course of that, I'll read from three short passages of Scripture. And so if you uh, want to begin turning and marking those, uh, you may. But those are going to be from Acts 20, 1 Peter 5, and 1 Timothy 5. And so I'll, I'll reference those three scriptures in connection to what I'm going to talk about. And again, those who've been with us know that my, uh, routinely, my, my practice is, there's, we, I preach from a, a passage of scripture, and the message of the text is the message of the sermon, and there you have it. And uh, again, I'm approaching this a little bit different in light of our um, ordination and installation coming up. Uh, again, looking at biblical church leadership as we understand it from a Presbyterian viewpoint. Now, I say that uh, in those terms for, for this reason. Number one, as, as Presbyterians, we're actually, we're people of the book. We take the Bible seriously. We want to be directed and guided by the Word of God, and uh, we just share an understanding of what it is that it teaches, and that's part of what uh, we, we have in common, not only here, but, uh, you know, with other churches in our denomination. But it's worthwhile, I think, for a couple of reasons to, to spend some time on this. Because number one, otherwise, this uh, installation and ordination service could just seem like a, a sort of a ritualistic formality. And um, setting apart leaders in the church of Jesus Christ is never a formality. It is never a formality. Um, but, but also, again, it may seem that way because in, you know, I can remember going to a church, visiting a church, uh, you know, it's been almost 25 years ago, and they did, you know, something like this in that church service, and I was like, yeah, what's the point? You know, I mean, it was all, all, you know, much ado about nothing sort of thing. That was my perspective from where I was sitting. And um, so if it seems much ado about nothing, part of what I want to do is make it feel like much ado about something. Uh, and just explain um, that so that that has a little bit more meaning. But also, what we believe about church leadership will have implications for how we equip our leaders, um, how we 
train uh, prospective future leaders and uh, therefore how we choose our leaders. Okay, so um, anyway, much more could be said about this subject of church government. And uh, given our time constraints, I'll have to be relatively brief, which again, I know you're thankful for. Um, So, uh, you know, sort of everything you never wanted to know about Presbyterianism, and therefore we're careful not to ask. So um, actually, that's that's really not uh, true. It's not everything at all. But... uh, But, but um, like I said, I have, to be, I have to be relatively brief because there's so much that can be said about the subject of, of, uh, of, of church leadership. But um, for that reason, um, and, and uh, hopefully other reasons that will be apparent, I'm going to touch very briefly on the office of deacon and really spend more time talking about the office of elder. And so um, I'll unpack it that way. And first of all, the, talking about um, deacons... Deacons are servants. Um, the Greek word that we, we translate or transliterate as deacon is the word diakonos. And you can hear in there the, the word deacon. Or you could see it even more clearly as if, you, if you saw it written. Um, it's the word from which we get the di- diaconate or diaconate. It's the body of um, deacons as well. But that word just means servant. And there's a verb form of the word that means to serve. Uh, the, the New Testament actually says very little about the office of deacon. But um, what we do know, they, they don't have a ruling or authoritative function. They're servants in the church. Um, they have a ministry of service and compassion. And I would tell you that um, the deacons in our church do that very well. Amen. They serve well. They love well. And... Um, and, and, and their default mode is just go do something. <laughs> and uh, if, you, if you need to ask questions about it or you need to give them more information, you give them while they're on their way to do something. But they are servants at heart. And that's what, that's what deacons do. And in, our, in the Evangelical Presbyterian Church, that's the, essentially the scope of their office. Again, depending on your church background, you know uh, maybe deacons in other ways or other, other contexts, and they, they serve in different ways there. Um, but here they're just, I shouldn't say just, but they serve. They don't have a ruling or authoritative function. And yet, because they lead in their service and because they are out front caring for people, um, the Bible sets out the expectations that they're to be mature believers led by the Holy Spirit who exhibit a manner of life fitting that office. But, but deacons are servants. We're glad to have them here. And that's uh, actually the larger portion of who will be ordaining and installing um, because we've had a little shortage of them in recent years. And we've had some people sort of running overtime and uh, we're adding to their number today. But uh, as, we, as we sort of draw our attention to um, the office of elder, I'll, uh, I'll sort of mention, uh, again, for starters, kind of how we view that as Presbyterians, and then, and then we'll actually unpack those scriptures that I cited just a moment ago. You may know that the, the, the word, the Greek word for elder is presbyteros. Um, and you hear in there, right, the root of the word Presbyterian. That's where we get it from. Um, in some church circles, they have, have just been called and still are just called presbyters. 
in other, in, in other church denominations and that sort of thing. But that's where we get the word Presbyterian from. And so at the, at the most fundamental level, um, what makes a church Presbyterian is that it's governed by elders. And anytime we talk about governing the church, we should be quick to remind ourselves that Christ is the head of the church. So our, our church is governed by elders in the Presbyterian church, but they are not the head. <laughs> Christ is the head of the church, but he's appointed or called um, elders to be the leaders. And so because he's the head, we all, will often remind ourselves the first duty of an elder is to represent the mind of Christ, not to represent the will of the people sitting in the pew behind them. I hope you're okay with that. <laughs> And uh, here's the good news. If we can all incline our own will toward God's, then uh, our elders can represent both the mind of Christ and the will of the people all at the same time because we'll all be united uh, in those convictions. But that's the first duty of the elder. But it is, in a different sense, a kind of a representative um, system. And so, again, without belaboring this too much, because I know how to put a crowd to sleep, and this would be one of them, um, but, uh, but in, in a local congregation, we call elders as our leaders. That is the, the local congregation's right to call elders um, as their leaders. And that body of people who is engaged in the, uh, the sort of governing act, we refer to as session. Again, if you've been around a long time, this is all old hat to you. But uh, we refer to that as session. That, that actually comes from, I think it's a Latin word that just means seated. So you hear about um, court being in session or Congress being in session. It just means they are seated for the job to which they've been appointed or called or whatever. And so we've got a, a certain group of elders at any given time who are seated for the task of governing. That's what we call them session. And from local sessions of congregations, uh, a, a, a number of those may go and represent our church in a regional council of elders, which we call presbytery. I referred earlier to the fact that I would be uh, spending some time with the exam team at presbytery. It's a council of elders, and uh, pr the only place that I could think of uh, where that word is even referenced in the New Testament, it, there's one in First Timothy chapter 4 where um, Paul says, do not neglect the gift um, that's been given you, which was given by the laying on of hands of the presbytery in the New American Standard or the King James Version. In other translations, it says the council of elders. But that is just a regional council of elders. And at a national level, we call it the general assembly. Um, so that would be in contrast with, if you want to understand this a little bit, and again, Probably in this room, people come from a wide variety um, of church backgrounds. But if you come from, um, you know, Catholic, Episcopalian, uh, Methodist background and that sort of thing, they have an Episcopal form of church government. So think of that in terms of maybe monarchy. You've got a king, an authority flows from the top down through individuals who have charge over certain domains and that sort of thing. So in an Episcopal form of government, that word, again, comes from a Greek word. They all come, you know, when in doubt, it comes from a Greek. If it's not that, it's Latin, right? It comes from a Greek word that means bishop. And um, so they're ruled by, by bishops, 
Authority flows from the top down through um, kind of a network of bishops. That's an Episcopal form of government, sort of like monarchy. On the other, other end of the continuum, you've got pure democracy in what's called congregationalism or congregationalist churches. So a lot of our Baptist churches that maybe some of us were part of, um, you know, in our background or whatever, are congregationalist churches. They're, they're governed by the congregation. You know, anything and everything can come up for congregational uh, vote. And so um, I would say that's from the bottom up, but it's really just leadership at the bottom, right? I mean, in other words, it doesn't flow up very far. It's just pure democracy at the congregation level. And in between there is where you find Presbyterians. Um, there's this sort of bottom-up uh, network of elders and councils of elders or whatever. That's session, presbytery, and general assembly. So when we, when we um, call elders, we're calling them to be a part of our session, but they may also uh, serve at presbytery or go be a part of presbytery on any given um, meeting and have influence over what happens in other churches. But enough of that, right? Uh, so, but but that, that at least puts in context, sort of on the landscape of Christendom, how, how do we understand um, where Presbyterians fall in there? But, but I do want to make some more specific observations about what the Bible tells us about elders. Because part of the point here, in fact, my main point, I hope, will be that we don't do the things that I just said simply because that's our tradition to do them that way. That's what we've been handed down. And so, you know, we continue carrying that forward. We, we understand that's what the Bible teaches about how the church is to be organized and governed. And so let's look at those three texts that I mentioned earlier from uh, Acts chapter 20, 1 Peter chapter 5, and 1 Timothy 5. I, I need to move pretty quickly here because, as I said, we do have our um, ordination and installation, that's the sort of the centerpiece of the service, which is, which is why I'm, uh, I'm, I'm going here in the first place. But as we read these, I want you to notice some characteristics um, of elders. These are, some, these are just a few select passages, but um, I want you to notice plurality. And um, then the, the, what the nature of their responsibilities are, if you can, if you can discern that in the, in the text, it's really sort of a, a very high-level reference to it. Um, and then we'll, one of those, uh, the, the last of those verses, we'll see something about distinctions within or among elders as well. But let's look first here at Acts chapter 20. And I want to look at verses 17 and 18 and then verse 28. And uh, I think this, is, this will be up on the screen here. This is where Paul is finishing his third missionary journey. He's on his way to Jerusalem, and he actually makes a stop um, just south of Ephesus and calls for the elders to come to him because he has a parting word for them. He knows he's not going to see them again. He's going to prison by way of Jerusalem, and he knows that uh, by the, the Spirit of God. And so he calls the elders and... Um, Here's what we read in verses 17 and 18 and then verse 28. So he says, Now from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them um, a number of things uh, and from verses 19 and following. And then down in verse 28, among the things he said to them was, 
Pay careful attention to yourselves and all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Now, I want to observe a few things here. Uh, first of all, you notice that he called the elders plural. Um, that what we notice in the New Testament is there are always elders plural that govern a church, not an elder singular. Always. Um, you, the only references you see to elder in the singular, John refers to himself as an elder, um, Peter refers to himself as an elder, and then there is a reference uh, to um, if anyone brings a charge against an elder, he should dot, 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 okay? But when it's referring to the office, the people in authority in a church, it's always a plurality of elders, that's one of the things that we believe about leadership in the church, governed by a plurality of elders. The second thing I want to point out here is that you see in verse 28, we're actually going to see the same thing in uh, 1 Peter 5 when we scan down there. But it says in verse 28, the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. The Greek word there, episkopos, or bishops. Okay, so uh, he, he's referring to elders as also bishops. The point being, um, the, 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 the task of overseeing the church is given to one body in the church, and it is the elders. And they were, are referred to in different times at different places as elders, as overseers, and then next, in the very next phrase, it says to care for this, uh, the church of God. Um, that is a verb form of the word shepherd. In fact, some of your translations may read there to shepherd the church of God. And um, shepherd is the word. The, 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 I, I really don't know Greek or Latin, but I keep using these words. And, um, but anyway, uh, because it actually just happens to be relevant here. But that uh, the Latin word for shepherd is pastor, basically. Pastore, I guess. It's the word from which we get pastor. Now, I want to connect these dots for you. There is a point, and it is this. Um, that the words elder, bishop, uh, pastor, overseer, shepherds are all used interchangeably of the same group of people, and it is a plurality of leaders in the local church. Are you tracking with me on that? Now, by the way, I don't have time to convince you of this, and that's not my goal today, by the way. I'm not out to persuade you of that um, or to even to defend our position. I'm really just, just trying to sort of explain what we see when we look at the Scriptures. When we, when we look at what the New Testament says about elders, we see there's always plurality and that, that it's used interchangeably with overseer um, and pastor and bishop, so forth, um, so that uh, there's, there's no distinction. There's not a separate office as we see it between elder and bishop, as you would find in other church circles. Now, jump on over to uh, 1 Peter chapter 5. I told you I was going to do something a little different. It's a, it's a lot different, isn't it? Um, 
playing Bible safari here. First Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 3. And we're going to see the same things, essentially, that I just observed. Um, so I exhort the elders among you, plural, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. Now, that would be a wonderful passage to preach just by itself and all that that says about what elders are to do and not to do. But again, I'm, I, I select it for the, for the purpose of observing the same thing, a plurality of elders who do two things principally, shepherd and oversee. Do you see that in, the, in what you're reading? Shepherd and oversee. So exercising oversight, once again, pastoring and bishoping. Okay, that's what elders do. And then finally, uh, 1 Timothy 5, verse 17. And, and, and this here, um, there's a, I picked this one for a different reason. But let, I'll point that out in just a minute. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. So um, in, in this little verse, it makes a distinction um, that we recognize in uh, Presbyterian churches between ruling elders and what we refer to as teaching elders. Now, again, I, I'm not trying to convince anybody of that, and others from different church backgrounds would, uh, would, would maybe want to debate that point. But, but, but there, there seems to be a distinction being drawn out here that uh, let those who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, that all of them rule, let those who rule well be especially uh, honorable, but especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. And it seems to make a distinction there that some among the elders labor in preaching and teaching um, and uh, that the others don't, <laughs> that they, they govern, uh, but they, they're not involved in teaching. Do you, you see that? Um, so in, in our understanding of church leadership, we uh, we make that distinction. So we have um, the, the folks we are going to install and ordain today as elders are ruling elders. And um, we have pastors by and large and sometimes uh, missionaries or other teachers and that sort of thing um, in our denomination who are those ministers who have been um, examined and ordained by presbytery are, are teaching elders and they labor in the task of teaching and preaching. So there's a distinction made, and yet there's equality between them. Now again, part of what I'm telling, I'm just telling you what we, how we understand this, not so much trying to convince you of it, but we recognize that there is a distinction between teaching and ruling elders, but they're of equal authority. There is 
Um, I would say in the Bible, but certainly in the Presbyterian understanding of what the Bible teaches, there is no such thing as a CEO pastor. And by the way, there is no such thing as a board of directors session either. Elders are not a board of directors, and a pastor is not a CEO. There is obviously leadership responsibility delegated to a pastor. Uh, the, the, the primary task of preaching and teaching is assigned to a pastor. But they are equal in authority. And not just because we decided it ought to be that way, because that's the way we understand the Bible to read. That there's a plurality of elders, and while there's distinction in their gifts and uh, tasks to which they're called, their authority is equal. Okay? So there's no rule by bishops or popes in the Presbyterian church. It's, we're ruled by elders. Now, I spend, I spend this time on that today for a reason. And first of all, I've already said it, I'm going to reiterate it, and that is elders are responsible for shepherding the flock of God and for overseeing. It would not be inaccurate to say at all that every elder is a pastor in a certain respect. Not full-time, not uh, called and trained and set apart vocationally for that, but every elder, according to the biblical uh, use of the term, is responsible for shepherding the flock of God and for overseeing. Now, what that says is, any of us called to that ought to swallow real hard before we step up, right? And do you see why I said this has implications for how we equip our leaders, how we train prospective future leaders? Who are those people sitting in the pew who might later be elders? And how do we need to begin developing them so that they're equipped and qualified not to sit on a board of directors, but to shepherd the flock of God? That is a high and holy calling. And I don't know, I can't speak for anybody else. I don't know whether we here at this church uh, or at any other church have always understood it that way, thought about it that way, or taken it that seriously. But it is that serious. It is that serious. That elders, lay elders, as well as clergy are um, the shepherds of the flock of God. And so that that is just that should be relevant to us always as we as we look ahead as we begin to prepare other people again uh, for leadership and so forth. But it's going to be especially relevant going into 2018. I mentioned um, earlier reminds you that um, Jim is going to be retiring. And um, you all know if you've been here, I mean Jim's been here a long time, but also uh, Jim is irreplaceable. And I don't say that to, you know, to toot his horn or blow smoke or whatever, but he shepherds uh, like nobody else you know. And, um, and he just does it like breathing, you know. And so um, as he retires and steps out, we have to continue to shepherd the flock of God. And one of the things we're going to do is call on elders 
to do more of that and to do it more deliberately. So how do we, how do we equip one another to do that? How do we support one another in that? We don't necessarily have all the answers to that, but we know that's the task we're called to. And uh, so we're looking at potentially reinstating um, elder families, which those who have been around for a while know is one sort of mechanism by which we can be sure the people in our congregation are being cared for ongoingly. Um, but that we're going we're gonna to be um, tapping them to take on more shepherding sort of responsibility and in the, at the same time sort of shuffling a little bit of responsibility in other directions uh, so that elders are doing less management work per se and more governing and shepherding. Shepherding the people and providing oversight and we want to be sure they're in the position to do that. But that's going to have immediately, immediate implications for us. And, um, and as I said, it'll, it'll tell us something about how do they need to be equipped? Um, how do future elders need to be equipped? It is a high and holy calling. It is a worthwhile one, by the way. It is not one to shrink back from. It's not one to be afraid of. Um, and... We, we need people to step up and lead, right? Just like we need people to step up and serve as deacons. We, we have to have that as a congregation. And yet, at the same time, we need people to recognize uh, that it's not something to step into casually or carelessly. And it's not something for us as a congregation to treat casually when we're electing them as our officers. Because an understanding of what it is they're called to, what it is we're setting them apart to do, uh, will shape who we select for that task and how we prepare them for it. And so with that in view, I want to go ahead and sort of move into our um, ordination and installation service. And so um, I'm going to ask first for those who are being installed or ordained to come on and uh, make their way forward. And so that's going to be uh, for deacons Tom Cameron, Jerry Cannon, uh, Al Cimino, and Jim Davis, and being ordained Art Hess, Debbie Watkins, and Robert Winkler. And so I'm going to ask um, the first group of them, I said, y'all kind of stand down here. Uh, so Art. Debbie and Robert can uh, sort of be right here. One group sit on my right hand, the other on my left. I never get to say that. <laughs> and then um, our elders being ordained would be Ron Davis and Lloyd Jackson. And so if y'all will come uh, stand right here on Art's left. And then uh, being installed is David Hartness. And um, I'll mention the, uh, the distinction here is um, some elders and deacons have previously been ordained and are not currently either on session or on the diaconate, and now they're coming back on, and so we install them. Uh, they don't have to be ordained over again. Now, before we actually um, move into that uh, sort of the ordination vows and so forth. Um, I actually want to take a moment to to recognize and thank those who are rotating off of either session or the diaconate. And so I'll ask those folks to come forward if they're 
here. Uh, we have two deacons rotating off. One, um, David Bartlett, is not here, I don't think, today. But Rick Heath, if he's made it back in, he's actually serving today. And so he may not even be back in the sanctuary uh, yet. But um, our elders, Mark Bruton, Ralph Jensen, Robert Mullahan, and Bob Spencer. And if y'all would just come down and, and maybe just stand right down here on this end because I'm going to present you with the honorary towel. And uh, um, I, this signifies that uh, you are not retiring. You just can go shower off. And uh, that is not what it signifies actually at all. But, but uh, yeah, so yeah, you can, just, you can just go have a quick shower and uh, get ready for your next t- tour of duty. But we are grateful to each of you for your service, for your leadership to this congregation. And uh, we look forward to a future service as well. And so God bless you, each and every one. Let's thank them and thank the Lord for them. Thank you. And you all may be seated for the time being. We'll have you come back up in just a a couple of minutes as we uh, pray for these who are being ordained. And so I'll ask uh, those of you standing up front to turn and face me, actually. And um, for those being ordained, I'll ask you these questions. And uh, if you respond in the affirmative, you can just say, yes, do you... Reaffirm your faith in Jesus Christ as your own personal Lord and Savior. Do you believe the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments to be the Word of God, totally trustworthy, fully inspired by the Holy Spirit, the supreme, final, and the only infallible rule of faith and practice? Do you sincerely receive and adopt the Westminster Confession of Faith and the catechisms of this church as containing the system of doctrine taught in the Holy Scriptures? Do you promise that if at any time you find yourself out of accord with the system of doctrine as taught in the scriptures and as contained in the Westminster Confession of Faith and the catechisms of this church, you will, on your own initiative, make known to your presbytery the change which has taken place in your views since the assumption of this ordination vow? Um, Do you affirm and adopt the essentials of our faith without exception? Do you subscribe to the government and discipline of the Evangelical Presbyterian Church? Do you promise subjection to your fellow presbyters or officers in the Lord? Have you been induced, as far as you know in your own heart, to seek the office of the holy ministry from love to God and a sincere desire to promote His glory in the gospel of His Son? And do you promise to be zealous and faithful in promoting the truths of the gospel and the purity of peace of the church, whatever persecution or opposition may arise unto you on that account? Okay. And now for all, including those who are being installed, uh, two questions. Uh, The first, will you seek to be faithful and diligent in in the exercise of all your duties as a Christian And as a ruling elder or deacon, whether personal or interpersonal, private or public, and to endeavor by the grace of God to adorn the profession of the gospel in your manner of life 
and to walk with exemplary piety before the congregation of which God is making you an overseer or servant. Are you now willing to accept the call of this church as ruling elder and, and deacon and relying upon God for strength, promise to discharge to it the duties required of that office? Okay. And now, if you will turn and face the congregation, because I have some questions for the congregation. Are you members of this congregation ready to receive these individuals as your ruling elders or deacons? Thank you. Do you promise to submit to the elders in matters of spiritual discipline and to receive with humility and love the word of truth? Do you promise to support each of them with your prayers to give encouragement and assistance in every way as they seek to instruct you in the things of the Lord and to lead you in building the kingdom of God in this place? And do you commit yourselves to fulfill the terms of the call you have extended and to make provision for their needs that the name of Christ might be glorified. Okay, so at this time I'm going to ask um, our other elders and deacons who are present, uh, whether you're on session now or off, any who would like to come forward and be part of laying hands on uh, these individuals. Um, as they are ordained. And I'll ask, um, again, if you will turn this direction, those being installed and ordained, and particularly uh, for those being ordained, if you are able, um, and so this would be Ron and Lloyd too, if you'll turn face this way. Um, if you're able to kneel, I'll ask you to kneel. You can take one knee, two knees, or sit on the step. <laughs> or just hunch over if, that's, if you're not able And then I'll ask the others of you just to lay hands on them and we'll say a prayer, setting them apart for service. Well, Father, we are thank thankful for the high and holy calling. Uh, really, first of all, of the calling out of darkness and into your marvelous light, the calling to be children of God. We thank you that everybody who names the name of Jesus shares that in common. But I thank you especially for the calling um, of these individuals to serve in a higher capacity as officers in our church. And Lord, we, we set them apart uh, for that work today and consecrate them unto you, Lord. We pray that you would uh, fill them with all the fullness of your person and presence day by day. Uh, Lord, we pray that you would um, equip them with the full supply of everything that they need to, to lead and to serve effectively. We pray you'd keep their hearts close to you all the time, that they would uh, be as a first order of concern, people of prayer, ones who seek to represent the mind of Christ all the time in all that they do. Father, I pray that they would be uh, people of peace, of love, of joy in the Holy Spirit, full of wisdom and strength and courage. Uh, Lord, would you just equip them to love well, lead well, and serve well. 
for your glory and for the good of your people. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. And the ordinance may stand, and then I will make this final. Uh, you may stand. Don't know if you can at this point, but you may. Um, I'll make this final uh, declaration here as we, as we con uh, conclude by the authority of the Evangelical Presbyterian Church and the Presbytery of the Mid-Atlantic. I declare that Ron and Lloyd have been ordained to the office of ruling elder, that Art, Debbie, and Robert have been ordained to the office of deacon, and that all of these individuals have been duly and properly installed as officers of this congregation in accordance with the word of God and the laws of this church. As such, they are entitled to be given support, encouragement, and honor in the Lord. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.